Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This program contains themes of an adult nature. Word for Word is an in-depth look into the lives of real people, which means this episode may contain explicit accounts of real-life events, including alcohol and drug use. The language used at times may cause some offence, but has been left uncensored due to the accuracy of the story. No offence is intended, and we hope you enjoy the program. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, to over 70 community stations around the nation, this is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome, family and friends, fans and fiends, to today's edition of Word for Word. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I'm Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to continue to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continue to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week, we will chat with those in and around our community who have inspired us, entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guests have ticked that box and a couple of others. They were both born in Melbourne, and while science and community have been their building blocks of life, it's been their undeniable love, companionship and truth that has made their story so unique. You may know one of these ladies for her work as Green Senator of Victoria, and you might also know the other for her work as a climatologist. But it's been the transition of gender for one of these public figures that has inspired and motivated the transgender community right across the world. This week's guests will continue to make an impact on the environment, and just by being themselves, they will continue to be adored by the LGBTI and wider community for the effort they've made in social change, in particular, acceptance and inclusion in diversity. I'd like to welcome you... And I'd like to welcome Senator Janet Rice and Penny Wetton to Word for Word. I knew I was different, although for many years I did a good job of suppressing it. When Janet Rice married Penny Wetton, Penny was her husband, but then she revealed a deep secret. I hoped it would go away when I met Janet. For us, as a couple and as ourselves, no, we're just the same people yeah. we ever have been. After 31 years of marriage, Janet Rice and Penny Wetton say their love for each other continues to grow. But their relationship is one of the most unique in Australia. Senator Rice and Miss Wetton, a Nobel Prize recipient, are one of the few same-sex couples in a legally binding marriage. It's an important week for the LGBTIQ community. And for me personally, as a proud bisexual woman and a member of this parliament... The community in the end is behind you. And work towards having politicians that reflect how the community really feels. Is it weird at this stage of your life to become heroes the way that you've become? <laughs> Do you see yourself like that at no. all? No. <laughs> I, I don't think of myself that way at all. It's, it's something for my generation and me being in the queer space that I know who you are. But obviously the wider community also has such a fondness for the two of you, which is great. Mm. I still find it really, really strange. It is. It's, it's really strange. I mean, I've sort of, my public profile has, you know, in all sorts of, you know, as green fields, environment fields, you know, started in my early 20s. Mm. And so there was that sense of not being afraid to put myself out there. 
but knowing that but no one knows who I am and even as a senator you get the feeling that no one knows who I am I can walk down the street and no one who's, knows who I am so I still find it surprising that in fact there are people that notice the work that I'm doing and notice Penny and me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's about small amounts of notoriety, I think, in certain fields. Like in some spaces, you guys are incredibly well known. But I guess there's other people out there that might not know that much about politics. That's right, you know? who aren't engaged. Mm. And certainly it's, I find it humbling, but mm. also really a privilege that I'm the work that I'm doing is sort of making sense to people and making a difference to people and yes and inspiring people I spoke to a woman today who's got a trans daughter in Adelaide and she's fighting to have a gender clinic services at the um, women and children's hospital in Adelaide yeah right and she said that her daughter Georgie sort of feels because of seeing me speak out it sort of gives her confidence that she knows right you know that there's Janet sort of speaking out on her behalf and that she can you know feel that energy and and that sense that she's going to speak out as well it's it's lovely it's sharing your story though Mm. and I guess in some ways we try and be so private about our lives and so we should be but I think because your story resonates with people and does make a big difference for young people does that make it easier for you to open up and share more about your lives yeah Mm. and it's it seems more important and certainly I mean Penny needs to answer this rather than me because, you know, I'm there. I've put myself in the public role as a senator, so there's that sense that I am a public person, whereas mm. for Penny it's sort of been much more reluctant to do that. Yeah, I mean, I could say that, you know, I went through my gender transition those years ago and really it was to get the whole gender bis- get over the whole gender business and get on with the rest of my life, mm. which means I had a natural inclination to sort of put it all behind me and not think about it so much and then I felt guilty that I wasn't actually helping the people that that were in my situation that had come along in the more recent years so having the opportunity particularly since Janet became more well known Mm. for me for, for me to be able to do something in this way is good. Yeah, it makes me, it means I don't feel guilty about not doing, not being so helpful. And, and it, it was funny though. I mean, when I was first elected, and there was I, so I had a range of portfolios. Newly elected senator, so you know, transport and forests. I didn't have LGBTI issues mm. in, in my portfolio at that stage when I was first elected. So I was wanting to get all of this, you know, a bit of a focus on my portfolio issues, and all that the media and wanted to talk about was. Penny and me, and you know, <laughs> and there was a bit of reluctance to begin with, but yeah. then it was almost okay, you know, that it's valuable, that it's serving a purpose. So let's just go with the flow and, and make the most of this. And I think, and then it sort of died down a bit after that, and we were happy to write, okay, let's talk about other stuff rather than the two of us. But then when I was, had the LGBTI portfolio, and then particularly during the marriage equality campaign, absolutely, and with trans people sort of being left out of the campaign a lot as well. Um, both of us decided it was you know, yeah. something that we could really do that would really make a difference. Yeah. In the first few years after my transition too, it would have been harder for me to have had a public mm. role because there were people in my life that, it, that I still, or how's the best way to describe it, you know, this would have been an issue for them as well. But now there's so much, you know, 10 years or more further on, I don't have any reason not to speak. You might not have felt comfortable to be talking like we are today, Ten years ago, no, I probably wouldn't have been as as comfortable. No. Mm. And Janet knows that the way I've gen- generally lived my life is um, is I just take the opportunities as they come, and this seems to be the time to to open up more about this than 
than than it was mm. it's at an earlier stage. Look, we're going to get into a little bit more of that, but we want to talk about the origins, like the upbringing that the two of you had. So you grew up in Altona, was that right? I did, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, where and my mother still lives. She's still at the the, oh. play, the house that I grew up in, yes. That's amazing. Mm. And did you have similar upbringings? Like, Penny, where did you grow up? East Brighton. Probably broadly similar. Mm. Yeah, I had a, a, a happy family of... There were three children, and uh, my parents have passed away now. But no, I had a very quite a nice childhood in that respect. Mm. Were there similarities between your childhoods at all? I was the middle one of five kids, so big family. That's right, and mm. I think my skills as a negotiator and a facilitator come from that <laughs> role in the family. I love it. Um, and but whereas you, your two sisters were considered yeah, older was than you, almost an only child yeah. because my two sisters were ten and fourteen years older mm. than me. So. Oh wow. I think probably the similarities with this, we both had parents that were very happy for us to do whatever was, you know, what we wanted to do, to follow our passions, follow our dreams and not be pigeonholed into into being something or doing something that we weren't. And for me, particularly, sort of as a, a girl growing up, you know, in the 60s and 70s, I didn't have any feeling that there was things that I couldn't do as a girl, which I know a lot of women my age were very channeled into only doing things appropriate for girls to do. Whereas for me, I thought, nah, you know, girls can do anything. And I think you know, my mother is a strong role model of, you know, she went back to work and my my youngest brother was was quite young. And so she was, you know, bringing up a family, working, active in the local church in terms of, yeah, you know, you can just juggle all of these things. That's what I was, I grew up with. Absolutely. What school did you both go to? Um, my high school was Brighton High School. And yeah, so I went to you know, local primary school in Altona and then I won a scholarship and so then wow. went off to Lowther Hall for, for girls' school, Anglican girls' school in Essendon, and which was, yeah, good education. But the other thing I loved about going to school in Essendon and living in Altona is that I got to catch the train to school every day. So I had that time independent of both being at home and at school, sort of travelling on public transport yeah. to and from school. Uh, another thing that might was a bit similar about our upbringings is that both your parents and my parents sort of introduced me to introduced us to the natural environment. Yes, our, our love of that. I mean, you had. Yeah. Well, we used to go to to my grandparents' house in Cockatoo and the Dandenongs. So we used to. I remember as a kid, often walking through Sherbrooke Forest and being yeah. amazed by those trees. And and you similarly. With yeah, camping holidays at Wilson's yeah. Promontory at Tidal River every summer, and then going off to on camping trips to northern South Australia, and my father sailing his boat in the um, 1970s on flooded Lake Eyre. So we had three trips, in fact, when Lake Eyre had water in it in the in the mid 1970s. Again, you know, mum and dad just sort of pack up the family and you know off the grid for two weeks. <laughs> I think your father was a frustrated explorer. <laughs> oh, I think he would have been. Yes, <laughs> but don't you love that? I mean, that's the same thing for when I grew up. I mean, my earliest memories is Sherbrooke Forest is mm-hmm. having the Sunday lunches with my grandparents. That's mm-hmm. you know my early mm-hmm. memories of being out there. But I think having that kind of lifestyle as well, it helps you be sort of more aware of the world, of the bigger picture. Yes. Is that how yeah, you both felt? Exactly, yeah. and you know that there's more to life than just you know your own small existence. That you have that awe of the world. Yeah. And the other thing for me is, and I think I mean both of us, our parents were churchgoers. You were a churchgoer for longer than I was. We both consider ourselves to be atheists these days. When was the last time you both went to church? You have to tell me. <laughs> I would have. I would have gone to church on a Christmas or an Easter um, with my mum, probably in the last. Maybe not five years. 
perhaps perhaps 10 years. My mum was not that religious that she made us go to like Sunday school and influenced us, you know, to so that if it was something that was interesting to us, we could adopt it, Mm. you know, which I think is good. And and I similarly didn't feel I was, I think my my parents sent me to to church in Sunday school because they just sort of felt it was the right thing to do. There wasn't any strong pressure from them to indoctrinate me. And what I was going to say about going to church was that also is a time in your life and, you know, time every week where you actually think beyond yourself. Mm. And so it is that whole sense of, you know, your what you can be doing to be helping others in the world. And I think that there aren't as many spaces for people growing up that they have that, you know, mm. structured, you know, ritualised time each week to actually think beyond themselves and to think about the rest of the world and you know, the rest of humanity so for me, that's the thing that I really appreciate, having had that. Um, there are churches for atheists. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how. There right. are PCYCs <laughs> places. There are community places you that's can right. do that. And I think that there's definitely a place for it. I mean, for some of my friends who have gone through hard things in their lives, their religion's been really powerful. Mm. And that strong sense of community yeah. you get from people that you are yeah, worshipping together with and that sense of shared common purpose. Is None a, of us going really to church important. anytime soon. No. Well, like, <laughs> but but yet yeah, that's all fine. And as long as they can be um, not force their views on others that's who right, aren't exactly. interested. <laughs> so what was school life like then for the two of you? I mean, do you both have fond memories of going through high school? I do, basically because I didn't rock the boat very much, although, you know, I was an independent thinker, but I was academically very capable. I was good at sport as well, so and, you know, played music. I basically every extracurricular activity in the whole school. That's right. (laughs) Was that different for you, Penny? I mean, school was very straightforward for me. I mean, I was academically very, very good, which helped. I can, in the social side of it, I could never quite decide whether I was amongst the mainstream kids or amongst the the misfits. The, yes, the misfits. <laughs> I seem to have connections into both groups that I'd swap between one and the other. When you tick some of those boxes, being good at academically mm. and also being able to do sport. Like I that. wasn't so much doing the sport at school. <laughs> I hated the rough and tumble sports. That's right. You didn't but like... But the ones that weren't, that weren't rough and tumble. You weren't comfortable with the, sort of the very macho, no, having no. to feel that, you know, be a, a, be, a physical no. boy. <laughs> We but, share that in common, though. Yes. <laughs> I was the same. Like, as in, it's just for some reason, I don't think I was, I don't think I was designed that way. I think that's probably the best way for me to, to put it. Mm. I'd like to, to have been better at sport, but I just, it wasn't my natural flair. So, Penny, you got a passion for science. Well, you both did. Got a passion yes. for science. What, what age was that when you started exploring that or realizing that that's kind of the career that you wanted to have? It's interesting. I... I, I actually primarily trace it back to my my father because he was he was rather interested in science, but he didn't have the opportunity to pursue his scientific interests when he was growing up. Um, he had to leave school in, at fourteen and get a job because it was the depression, etc. But he read he he read he read lots about science, and he would talk to me about it. And I think that was probably my first inspiration for for science. When I finally got to when I got to high school particularly the latter years of high school where you had to choose the, the, the science or the humanities streams. I don't remember it being a hard decision. I seem to think that naturally I'd do science. So maybe that just went back to the background I'd had in science before then. And I liked it. I loved it. I had a physics teacher at, um, in my last year of, of high school, which I found quite inspirational. That made me certain I was going off to university to do physics. 
although I eventually got physics out of my system at a later stage. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I really enjoyed maths. And so, and I love doing maths. I love solving you know, mm. problems and, and solving puzzles and things like that. And so, and then sort of the science sort of almost went along with that. So that developed through that, I think developed a very you know logical, rational approach yeah. to the world. And so, science made sense. Similarly to Penny, you know, you know, I was good at maths, I was good at science, and so there was a bit of a sense of, well, if you can do it, well, you should do it. I think and there so, was a bit of that sense as yes. well. And then when I finished, you know, year 12, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And you didn't know at that no, stage? No, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I found meteorology a lovely connection of it was scientific but it still had a connection with the natural world and sort of understanding you know that uh, trying to understand and that curiosity about how the natural systems of the the atmosphere and the environment worked you both met though at university is that right yes that's right when penny was doing her masters and i would just finished third year third year that's right cold fronts research program phase two (laughs) Two. that's right (laughs) so essentially penny i love that you remembered it (laughs) that's right janet's like okay yeah it's coming back to me cold fronts research project in fact (laughs) oh okay that's right (laughs) and we had um it was a, a research project that they engaged students to go off and they set us up in various locations across southeastern Australia mm. to be tracking cold fronts as they came across southeastern Australia. So essentially, you, we had to put up weather balloons every four hours and track the, them through a theodolite. Through a theodolite when the front was coming through. So we had ten days together with a group of students. There were six of us in a house on the beach <laughs> in, in um, Pelican in, Point, in, and if there was no front coming through. We were still paid to be there, but there was nothing for us to do, so we just sort of were on holiday. And then the front came, and then there was this intense bout of, um, of scientific observations. So that was when I first got to yes, know Janet. Yes. I'd seen around the place before that, but yeah. <laughs> keeping an eye on her. And then, and then there were you know a couple of things. When one, in fact, just before we left, had been my twenty-first birthday. In fact, it was the we left the morning after my twenty-first birthday. And Penny always says that she never got invited to my twenty-first. I was there party. the next morning, <laughs> picking her up from her house. The rest of was six of us in the car, and they're all talking about the party the night before. And I was the only one that hadn't been involved. <laughs> Why didn't you invite? Well, I didn't Penny? know her at that stage. You oh. know, she was this, she was a couple of years older than you me. But one of the presents, I don't think you've gotten over it. No, that's right. One of the presents that I'd got for my twenty-first birthday was then the first edition of Leon Costerman's book Trees and Shrubs of Southeastern Australia, and we still have it. And it's gone. How many editions that's gone into in the last um, thirty-five years? Who yes. knows? And and so I had this book, and then so. I hadn't done any plant identification. I didn't really. I didn't do biology at school. Didn't know much about plants, but I was had yeah. natural, you know, affinity with the natural world. And Penny found this book, and she loved it as well. So, we, but it, I'd never done any biology at all. Yeah, and it wasn't. I wasn't interested in it because of biology. I think yeah. I was interested in it because it had little maps. Yes, <laughs> I always loved maps. But the other thing that attracted <laughs> me to Penny was that I'd, you know, been three years at that stage with scientists and so mm. many scientists are pretty nerdy, narrow, not really having an engagement with things beyond their science sure. and I found them a bit boring. But Penny had a broader range of interest and in particular her reading on this trip was a book, and you can probably remember what it's called anyway, it was by Herodotus. So Greek history essentially. <laughs> well the first, the first history book ever written 
in 500 BC. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And I so classical literature, I suppose, but I was reading it in translation. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is amazing. And then you're broadening Janet's horizons. Well, on... and this thought of this person, you know, she's not just your standard you know, run-of-the-mill scientist who's only got scientific interests. She's got a broader range of interests. I've always had a love of history. Yeah. And it's interesting why did I never go close to going down that path. And it was partly, it was really because I never didn't really think about doing the humanities in the later, year, later years of school. So then I get to university and so, okay, my history is just, it's just a... It's a parallel life. It, you, you could have easily gone down that path. Yeah, yeah. I'm a professional busybody, so you have to tell me, what was it like then at that time when you both started to fall in love? Well, I had to break up with my boyfriend at the time. So. <laughs> What's so his name? A, a little tricky. shout out. No, we won't mention no. his name. <laughs> Oh, we still get on together very well. In oh, fact. you still know yeah, him? Yeah, we still know him. I'm, I'm Ian Rogers. In right. fact, he was Australia's first chess grandmaster. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> these, these nerdy men that you're That's obsessed right. with. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So that was, that was a bit sad. But yes, that had to happen. Nothing happened between us at, at the Cold Fronts no. research project. It had to happen afterwards. But I do remember when you put your woolly hat on my head. That's right. There was this frisson of excitement between us. That's right. There was, that yeah. was the connection. It was meant to be. And then it was summer and we spent some time together. In fact, you came down to the prom. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. The yeah. relationship got going shortly after that, yes. afterwards. But my memory of, of spending time with Janet at, at, at the Pelican Point was it just felt so natural and normal being with <laughs> it had a, a really nice fitting in sort of mm. feeling is it interesting in a way because i mean you've both lived your lives as a heterosexual couple and now you live your life as a same-sex attracted couple is it a weird world to live in where you've lived those different lives yeah i mean we yeah. went from being you know the perfect ordinary you know, mm. heterosexual couple living in our heteronormative world with our you know, living with the two two kids and everyone saw us as just being a yeah, a very standard the Aussie, the Aussie family. Aussie, Aussie family. Yeah. And suddenly, that's right, we were presenting... Suddenly I, I, I found myself thinking twice about, you know, kissing Janet in the street or holding her hand and so on because yeah. I thought, oh, what will people think? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that so weird though? Like yeah. my partner yeah. hates PDA, so he won't even like... I would try to hold his hand all the time. There isn't a day that goes by where I don't try and hold his hand. We've mm. been together for nine years. And he hates PDAs mm. because yes. of the culture of the of exactly. that we're same-sex yeah, attracted yep. couple. Yep. However, for the two of you, you both were able to live that life of yes. being able to express yourself without any concern. Exactly, and, and we brought that into our in. relationship. And that's sort of you know, I don't think about the fact that people would view us as differently, and I have to you know, we, you get reminded of that, yes. you know, rudely yes. reminded yes. of it sometimes. But for us. As a couple and as ourselves, no, we're just the same people yeah. we, we ever have been, and so I, you know, I know we are not there yet in terms of no, we a, aren't. equality because there is still that stigma and that internalised censorship that same-sex attracted people and you know, put themselves through. You were set to both be adopted by the LGBTI community later in life, but what was your impression growing up? Like, what did you think of the queer community? Like, what did you think of same-sex attracted people? As you were growing up? For me, why don't you start, Penny? Well, it's an interesting question. I, I haven't thought very hard about it. I knew I was different, although it, for many years I did a good job of suppressing it. And I knew it wasn't that I was was gay. It was something else. And, I, and you know, I only learnt more about it by reading about it, etc., when I could, mm. furtively at times. Pre-internet uh, days. <laughs> 
Because so I, I kind of had a feeling that that wasn't my community, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I'm just thinking back now because I haven't, I didn't really, I haven't really thought very hard about that question. And I'm thinking back like in my school days and very early twenties, etc. I didn't feel connected to it at all. See, for me, I always thought like I actually was quite scared of the queer community, or I was kind of terrified of the queer community, and so. For my generation growing up in the 90s, no one talked about their sexuality at school. No. Um, and for me, I mean, I remember at school in the 70s and, and I identified as, as heterosexual mm. and I, you know, I now identify as bisexual and certainly, you know, I was attracted to girls, but because you live in such a heteronormative world, you know, well, if as long as you're attracted to boys as well, well, you just ignore that <laughs> you know Absolutely, so you can yeah. fit in as a as a mm. heterosexual and of all of the girls at my school I mean I think you know there was one girl that we said oh you know we think she might be a lesbian but that was that you know, the 500 girls at the school Nobody absolutely would you know if they were um, a lesbian or bisexual would they felt confident enough or embracing that enough to be able to be to be out. Did it take you some time to work out which letter of the alphabet you wanted to identify with? Yes, yeah. I mean, my, my, my one of my friends sort of, when Penny transitioned, sort of called me the accidental lesbian. Um, <laughs> Penny, look <laughs> which, what you've done to her. <laughs> right. But now the accidental bisexual. But, it's, you know, I reflect back at it and I think, yes, you know, I have been attracted to girls and women throughout my life as as well. And clearly I was attracted to, to Penny when she was a bloke. So, you know, that's what I am. And the the difficulty is when you're in a long term committed relationship, you know, what is your sexuality really? Because I've got I've got this deep love for Penny mm. and that overrides everything else. Mm. And so you sort of just tend to not go there really in terms of thinking about well you're 32 years into this marriage that's right how attractive you find other people because it's not relevant exactly exactly (laughs) that's what i often think of like you know even being with my partner for nine years you know i'm just lucky to be in love yes Mm. and Mm. i think that's what's so powerful about your Mm. story Mm. and maybe you both resonate with the same theory as me but we're not some people feel like they're owed to be in a relationship or we you know that's what's going to happen in their lives but you're really lucky to be able to find it. And if absolutely. you find it, you've got mm. to protect it. Yes, mm. yeah, and yeah, absolutely. So and, and so lucky and privileged. For many years, I didn't tell Janet about my um, gender issues because I was so afraid of, of the damage it might make to the relationship and the relationship was number one for me. Were you afraid that Janet was going to leave you if you told her about well, your gender dysphoria? I was – a significant part of me didn't believe that would happen, but – Part of me also worried that it might. <laughs> and Penny's a worrier. Yeah. So. so it was difficult. It was difficult. And eventually the, the dam broke. <laughs> Love conquers all, though. That's right. Yeah. I think she- that's what you both like you to have had, though, that there's genuine affinity to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a genuine attraction to each other based on an attraction of minds as well. I mean, mm. you both... Yeah. We and see the world so similarly. We do. And, and, and the fact that if there are issues that come up in our relationship, we will work through them and we'll talk through them and we'll talk about it. And certainly, you know, when we're first um, discussing and juggling Penny's um, gender identity stuff, it was and it was huge for both of us, but we just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked so much <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and sorted through it. But, I mean, some couples can do that and then the, the sexuality just doesn't work for them. And I know there are some 
trans, you know, people who, mm. when one partner transitions, and as much as they would like to make it work for them, it doesn't. Whereas I think we're also fortunate. And for me, you know, there was that moment of when we were out dancing together and with Penny as Penny and, you know, we were dancing and I sort of looked at her and I think, yeah, you know, I absolutely still love her and I find her really attractive as well. So there was that sense of identifying... That was really nice. (laughs) (laughs) That she was a woman and, yes, you know, I was absolutely still in love with her as a woman. That's right. I mean, it is a combination of things. I mean, it is about sexually being attracted to someone and being in love with them as a person. So yes. I think you're both lucky that that's what's been able to stay strong. Mm. Mm. That's right. Mm. And and I know, you know the deep sorrow that some people have that it doesn't work out for them like, like that. And we've got other, you know, a, a trans friend in particular. Close who, friend, yeah. Yeah, close who, friend. It was the breakup of their relationship, yeah. How did you tell Janet? Like, <laughs> how did you get those words out of your mouth? I was, I was, I would be rehearsing the words in my mind so much. You know, what would I say? Mm. And then I decided, well, I'm going to write them down. And so I wrote a letter to Janet, which I redrafted and redrafted. And then I eventually got it in a form, which I thought would <laughs> explain things adequately. Um, and my, I'm trying to trick myself here in a way, because I, I then thought, okay, the words exist. I don't have to stop. I don't have to worry about them anymore. Now it's just about the opportunity. <laughs> Where do you hide a letter that you're rewriting like yes. that, though? Uh, it, it was probably being rewritten on the train and going to or and from work. At, or When I was or, at meetings or, or something. something. Yes. Anyway, so I then had the letter ready in the bedside table. And so all I needed to do was just have the decide, yes, this is the moment, and grab the letter and give it to Janet to read. Where do you go? When that letter is being written. <laughs> the red. Yeah. Being read, yes. You know, well, yeah, that's the thing. I did. I was not sitting there. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'd just gone to bed. Yes. We? You know, and fortunately it wasn't too late. Um, and we'd just gone to I bed got... and Penny hands is here, I've written this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I read it. And, ah, and this sense of, you know, this doesn't happen to to me. You know, this is the sort of thing that you read about in books or see in films. You know, it doesn't happen to people in ordinary life. And that was, you know, and I think it's really worth um, thinking about you know in 2003 13 years ago how less of a profile trans people had oh. um, then and sort of you know, most people don't know another trans person yeah. they've never seen you know there's no very little media coverage of trans people so it was this gosh you know here's this weird thing and Penny's telling me that that's you know, that's was there much sleeping that night? No, <laughs> we talked a lot because I read to Until go to about sp- four a.m. I think still yeah still yes. thinking about it yeah because I read to before I go to sleep to calm me down yes but I think that's I'm trying to remember remembering the circumstances because you were about to go away on another overseas, overseas trip, trip. Mm, that's yeah. right yeah and I wanted to I wanted to tell I'd made my mind to tell you'd given yourself yeah. a deadline yeah before that trip because the pre- you'd had previous overseas trips which you know once Penny's scientific career had taken off which had given her the opportunity to travel and so we were spending time apart and that's when she realised well you, you can tell your own story oh uh, there was um there was cross-dressing going on, which was I hid from Janet, and um, I'd buy things and then throw them away. Where were you buying them? Somewhere where I was extremely unlikely to not be recognised. Timmy. <laughs> extremely re- yes. Unlikely to be recognised, yes. yes. Were you in t- yeah, yeah. You're in <laughs> Richmond on Swan Street, just buying this for my wife. Yes, yeah. But I just, I just got so sick of the 
hiding it. Because, but you know, when I'd throw things away, I'd tell myself, oh, it doesn't exist anymore and it won't come back, which was rubbish because, you know. <laughs> Curiosity leads yeah. you back to it. Well, I guess in some ways, you know, like we often go out into the world and we see things that we want to buy to wear. Mm. And I guess when you do have issues about your gender, you're going to be drawn to the identity you want to present as, yeah. your mind mm. wants yeah. to present as. Mm. So you probably see things in a catalogue or something like that and think, I want, to, I want to know what that looks like on me. So, yes, that's why that prompted the telling Janet about mm. it. And then we went and offered, bought you some clothes the next yes. morning. <laughs> this is the best. That's right. I love your house. I love the fact that you have this letter at night time. You stay up till four in the morning. Practical Janet says, let's <laughs> go, go shopping. shopping. That's right. <laughs> it may have not been the very next day, but it was close. It, it was. works better in the story. <laughs> better was. in the story to hear that you went shopping for we it the next shopping. day. That's right. Shopping for some frocks. <laughs> now, at this stage, how old are the boys? Well, this was 2000 and, oh no, it was 1990. I mean, they didn't know for quite a bit long, longer. Yeah. So this was no, about 99, wasn't it, I think? 97, I, I think. 97. Right. What was the first time that you had an adult conversation with your boys about what was happening in their parents' life? Not for, for some years, yeah, and not until... Was that yeah. until they were ready, or was that until you you were ready, and or you both were confident? Well, for a, you know, for for years, for quite for a number of years, I would take the view that they didn't need to know because I wasn't going to go any further. I would have my time out as as Penny, you know, once every couple of weeks or something, um, and maybe that would be enough. And I started going to Seahorse Victoria, which gave me an outlet at, at that time. So. There was the hope that it wouldn't go further at that point, so I wasn't going to tell them while I felt like they didn't need to know, and they were fairly, you know, fairly young. The interesting thing was we had this close friend. I I'd established a close friendship with someone I met at, at um, Seahorse Victoria, so they would um, they would come to visit our place, um, come to visit our place as Matt. And then we would go off and, and change somewhere else and would go to Seahorse and whatever. So my kids had got to know Matt and then Matt transitioned to Nat. And so they saw that and learnt about it before they knew it was going to, it was actually going to happen to someone, to someone even closer to them. So it actually made it easier, actually, having, them, having an understanding of, the, of what had happened what yeah. was to happen or what had happened. The, the importance the of role models again, which mm, yeah. people have, you know, there are so many more of them now, but they were, you know, they just weren't there. Close I think what's interesting in that scenario is that's a real lesson of respect that you taught your boys. And that is that obviously while Matt went to Nat, you obviously both showed respect. Oh, to yes, Nat. indeed. Exactly. Indeed. And then yeah. she so, was still, yeah, she was our good friend. Exactly. So, I mean, they saw that genuine empathy and love and care Mm. for someone who's a friend. Mm. And then that's obviously the same thing that they would have had to process, Mm. like a little map. That's right. Mm. Penny, you like Mm. maps. (laughs) (laughs) But like a little map for your kids to be able to follow. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. What are they like about it now? How has that been for them? Like, how do they feel Well, they don't report those conversations to us, really. So, I don't know a lot about those sorts of conversations that they must have. 
mm. from time to time. What about mm. you? Yeah, I think... The door's open for you very, to have that conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they've just been supportive of us. I mean, certainly in terms of the impact on their lives, you know, at the time when you know, Penny transitioned or when we told them that Penny was transitioning, they were, it was the very practical things. You know, they both wanted to make sure that she was going to keep on playing footy with them, for example. And so then we had to go through, you know, being the, the social transition at their school and at the footy club. And I've always felt that being in, I mean, we still live in Footscray, living in yeah. Footscray, it's such a diverse and very multicultural community. Absolutely. That there was very much that acceptance of, of people and a, a very progressive school community that accepted people for, you know, whoever, whatever they were. So it was, you know, I think that acceptance was there and they didn't have to have too much of a struggle. The main thing that we hear is that, that we heard from them was that they didn't quite know how to explain who Penny was, and so in conversations about you know people's people's um, dads, you know, having to talk to people who you know knew newer friends who didn't mm. know who Penny was, mm. and sort of having to yeah. just say that yep, yeah, you know they they do still have someone who who is their dad, but they just don't refer to the, refer to her as their dad anymore. Um, she's Penny. Yes, and and a part of me was a little bit sad about having them not stop calling me dad. They couldn't call me... It didn't feel right to claim mum as a term because mum that, was, that was Janet's. <laughs> um, and having your children use a name which, you know, relates to the special relationship they have with you is kind of nice. But dad was just not possible anymore. But I, 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 super, I rapidly got over that, and they call me Penny, and that's yes, absolutely and, fine. And basically, it's just the, yeah, we're just you know Mum and Penny. Yeah. So that's what they I mean, still at you know at age twenty seven and twenty four, we're know, just Mum and Penny. I mean, you know, in in, all, in many sorts of ways, you know, things that stressed me in the early stages of transition, I look back and think, well, you know, I just got over that, and then it is still a grieving <laughs> process to lose yeah. things like that. You know, and yeah. people forget about that. I think that's where there's a bit of a lack of respect. I think for other people. Because it is a process for you to detach yourself from titles that you've you probably mm. feel deserved, mm. you know. Yeah. Mm. And things like you know Father's Day was one, and in fact we've talked about this with Nat as well. We feel that there really should be an Others Day, as well as Mother's <laughs> Day and Father's Day. <laughs> it should be an Others Day, so not just for for um, people who don't fit into the mother fa- mother or father category, but you know so many carers in people's lives, whether mm. it's the grandparents or the uh, the other other carers. You know, to be recognised and acknowledged rather than having this binary, we have these cultural celebrations of mothers and fathers. And if you don't fit into that, you know, gender binary, well, you're not acknowledged. Just don't tell the capital C Conservatives no, about right. this Others Day because <laughs> that will give them something to do. Right. And I don't think we need to give no. that to them. It is an interesting, it's an interesting world that, you know, I guess you both have been able to navigate. What do you both believe is the key to have made this relationship a success? Um, communication. Love. Mm. You know, the, the ongoing love, but communication and openness and mm. and willingness to be open to things, you know, not not being closed yeah, to possibilities. I think we're both like that, yes. yeah, which helps and a lot. seeing, you know, when things that you don't expect, you know, pop up in your life, not seeing them as barriers, but seeing them as opportunities. And there might be problems, but then... But a belief that you can get around them rather than sort of being overwhelmed by them. 
Um, Which is yeah, my optimism. I was about to say, Janet's positivity <laughs> is, is really quite amazing. <laughs> and that helps a lot. Do you know what strikes me is that I think you're both realists. Like if a piece of information comes across your desk as a scientist, you look for the reasons as to why this is and solve a puzzle. Yes, that mm. makes any That's sense. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, and working out how to how to how to solve those puzzles. Penny, what advice would you give yourself if you could have a conversation with yourself at the age of twelve, knowing what you know now? Oh, it's so hard because the world's changed so much, and you know, if I'm thinking about if I was a twelve-year-old now, it's such a different world to to then. Um, yeah, I mean, we met some wonderful young trans kids in Canberra uh, yeah. um, during the week, and I was I was just so moved just talking about them. And yes, they you know struggling with their life as young trans kids, but it's such a different experience for them than for Penny, who you know didn't disclose her gender gender dysphoria to anybody until she did to me, you know, at the age of forty something. But Penny, your story is so important and people when they google it here in australia if they look for someone to look up to penny you are that person in lots of ways and whether or not you set out to be that which i don't think it is that you did but just by being yourself and sharing your story and the best thing i can tell you about seeing you today is just that you look happy (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's amazing like that's setting a role model that's setting a storyline for younger people at 12 that life's going to be okay yeah yeah well, I hope it does because life has been wonderful. Yes. Um, and just just thinking back again to your question, though, it's anything I could say to myself as a as a twelve year old isn't doesn't feel relevant to now because the world is just so so different. But there'd be I mean, if you're in terms of things to share with twelve year olds who are suffering, that's a different struggling matter. with yeah. their yeah. gender identity. I guess you have to compartmentalize that question because yeah. there are different universes and there's different lives and there's different timelines you know yeah. what happens to someone in the 60s 70s and 80s is mm. completely different to what's happening mm, yeah. but there yeah. you know there's no doubt i mean we saw the you know three young trans kids who were supported by their parents and you know mm. going for it for every one of those there'll be three young trans kids across the country somewhere who are feeling that they can't tell anybody about their the fact that they're you know not really a girl they're really a boy or the other way around they know that their parents aren't going to be supportive who might be expressing transphobic stuff to them just in passing and they would be having all of that bottled up inside them so yeah i mean it's i mean the main message is that it's it's certainly okay to feel as you do but you know, the more specific advice depends so much on their circumstances. Yeah. I, I really wouldn't know. I'm, I'm struggling as a scientist with this one, I think. <laughs> I I'm think treating... I'm tra- I'm, uh, I think it's, you know, that, that embracing who you are is a good thing. Yes. And the, the journey, you know, for every individual will be different. And absolutely. sometimes it's going to yeah, be absolutely. harder than for other um, people. And but, but embracing your identity is something that is incredibly powerful. Well, Penny, thing. I guess you know uh, this, and I think a lot of people know this. I mean, the more that you push against who you truly are, the harder it is for you. So it's, it's a race that you can't win mm-hmm. if you're going to try and run away from your true self. There's, you know, there's a problem with, or an issue, problem, there's an issue with sort of classifying to yourself who you are mm. at, that, at that age and I really had very few options <laughs> and that that made it hard too like am I this am I gay I don't think I'm gay there weren't very many options to choose between but there's a much 
um, understanding of the broad, much broader, different ways that people can have a, a gender experience. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, think about the letters and, that have been continuously yeah. added mm. to the LGBTIQ, mm. and that is and, because there are so many stories. And I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd, I'd advise people not to be too rash to try and um, to, to necessarily mm. leap to one categorization. Mm. There's, did you? I know both Penny, both of your parents are no longer with us, but did you? Were you able to have a discussion with your parents about your gender while they were still alive? Um. It it was quite sad, really, how that un- uh, unfolded. In that, my, my father was um, at the relevant time. My father was in a nursing home and not really mentally capable of having a, a conversation okay. about that. Um, my mother was not really quite as she had been either, due to an illness that she'd, she'd had a year or two earlier. Um, so I did talk to her, but we found it it was quite a difficult conversation. Was that one of the bigger obstacles, would you say? Yes. I think that's what you were referring to earlier when you were talking yes. about... Yes. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I actually think if, my mo- if I'd talked to my mother some years earlier, when she was more as I remember her, I actually think she would have coped with it much better. Mm. It was just sad that it came quite late in her life and when she wasn't really as well as she once was and... Her mind wasn't working. Her mind wasn't working quite as well. Yeah, it's a hard thing, you know. But I guess in some ways, I always think of this for myself. I've I've had some really bad hardships that have happened in my life, but I've also been balanced out with some really good things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the good ways of, or the only way of looking at it when you're faced with something that's quite sad like that, Mm -hmm. is to be thankful for what. Yeah, it is that you've been able to have. And and the other yes, you know, it was it was sad that your mother wasn't able to come to terms with you know and truly accept you as penny but on the other hand virtually everybody else in our families and friendship circles yes have have so you know and so that amazing acceptance by people and yeah which is just being surrounded by love (laughs) and my work environment csro was fantastic they got on board yeah you hear it like ANZ, you hear about all these corporate mm. businesses these mm. days being so much better at inclusion mm. and it's so mm. amazing. Mm. Like mm. you just think... And the, the news of um, Deakin Uni, did you see the news? No, that They've didn't. now got special transgender leave for people undergoing gender transition, <laughs> so there's like, separate special leave. Much <laughs> needed. Right. You're both so brave and like talking about all this has obviously been quite difficult, but at the same time, it's so powerful for other people mm. to, to listen to. Did you ever think that you'd become prolific like this? Oh, some years after my transition, I had the strong feeling that I wanted to write a book about the experience. And I actually ended up taking some time off, some long service leave. Mm. And I I got about a third of them to half the way through what I was planning to write. And I ran out of steam. But my intention there was to tell my story and, and that it would be hopefully helpful to others. Will you go back to writing that book? I don't think so. I think, I think having this opportunity to talk about my experiences, um, and hopefully in a way that can help others, through doing podcasts like this and other things we've done um, in recent years, is taking the place of that book. I don't think I'll go back to the book. She should actually publish the bits that you actually wrote. It would be worth really just sort of getting them up mm. online and as a as a resource. On the whole, I, I do still find this a little hard, and it's not. 
I certainly don't enjoy seeking attention for myself in this, just as Janet was saying. But when you hear these messages back, which we do quite often about how incredibly helpful, you know, us appearing in an article or some other interview or that's occurred has been for somebody that that makes it so worthwhile yeah. and makes me willing to do these things again stepping out of that space just for a minute janet what's what are you most proud of that you've achieved in your career thus far probably uh, there are two in i don't know i mean there there are two tangible things that's ongoing that i think yeah you know i played a big role in those one was the formation of the greens in victoria so you know one of the people that decided in 1992 that yep we needed the greens and they were really a pretty small group of us and so it was a big driver in making that happen and to see the greens grow and to have the political power that we have. And again, you know, having that political power as a tool to be able to get mm. the change that we need in the world, mm. seeing that, um, that's, I'm really proud of that. And the other goes back to my days as a, a forest campaigner when I spent seven years working in the environment movement and uh, by being a leader and facilitating you know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people to be taking action to be protecting our forests. We ended up with the Arunundra National Park in Far East Gippsland and protecting some of the wonderful old growth forests and the Roger River forests, which were in addition to the Snowy River National Park. Mm. And to see those as national parks and protected where they otherwise would have been logged and, and destroyed, I feel, yes, that was a really important thing to have done. And then I think the other the other thing that I really overall in the work that I've done is my I'm proud of bringing people together and helping people to get involved and to feel that they that they there's something they can do and and make a difference. And so you know and I think it's you know my positivity and my optimism and of actually engaging people and saying Yes, you know, get involved, make a difference. And so there are lots of people, for example, that I know, you know, have been got involved in the Greens because they've heard me speak or they had a conversation yeah. with me and they got inspired. And I think well, that's a pretty good thing to know and then to see them blossom in their, their activities as well. I love that because your work has been a combination of science and community. Absolutely. And bringing those two together. Yes. And that's been a real building block for everything that you've mm. had to go through mm. in life. And very much, you know, working with people in a really respectful and caring way and, and and you know seeing the good in people and bringing people together to to achieve good things penny what about yourself stepping out of the space of talking about your journey in the lgbti world what are you most proud of that you've been able to achieve oh i'm i'm proud of my scientific career mm-hmm. and and the achievements i've i've made there and i hope i hope i've had an impact on on how we're dealing with climate change um, I'm proud of my relationships. Yes. <laughs> I should have said that too. And, 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 and our, our, children, our kids, and absolutely. Our children. Um, yeah. What about your ambitions now? Like as in looking forward, you know, do you both have something that you want to achieve before finishing up in your careers? Oh, look, I want to see Australia take serious action and contribute towards tackling dangerous climate change. Otherwise, we're completely stuffed mm. as humanity and the planet. Yep. So, And we've all got to play our role, and Australia is you know, such a laggard and such a contributor to sort of global pollution with our massive coal mining. And so, yeah, so actually I would feel, you know... At the end of my days, to feel that yes, we've turned things around, and that things are going to get better in terms of mm. climate and and environment and protection of nature as well. And I'll keep on being passionate about those. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the big yeah. one for me. And 
I that's actually important for me too, very much. <laughs> Um, I think it's remiss of us not to have the two of you here and talk about, like in 2016, the Australian run a front page story about safe schools. And as that came about, certain groups were able, certain lobbyists were able to take down safe schools. How did that make you feel at that time? Oh, absolutely was terrible. Yeah. And the, the power of the right wing media to do that and to destroy something that was so important for young people, it was just appalling. What and do you think needs to be in place now? Like, what needs to go there in, in well, place? Well, basically, it needs to come back. Just the same thing? Well, a, a whole range of measures to deal with homophobia and transphobia, you know, throughout society. And so having programs in schools to be building support for and acceptance of and to end bullying and to, you know, be building resilience, uh, you know, across school communities is absolutely essential. You've and it's the been... sort of thing we need to be putting resources into mm. and standing up to the, the right-wing bullies. How do you feel about Scott Morrison? I mean, you've both been in Parliament this week fighting that cause in particular. You know, do you have a message for Scott Morrison about what he needs to be doing? To me, it's that he's, he's, he's out of touch yeah, with ordinary Australians. He yes. does not represent... Most Australians are good people. They are respectful. They are caring. They're accepting, whether it's of our multicultural mm. diversity, it's refugees, people who are different, you know, LGBTI people. He doesn't represent mainstream Australia. No. How does someone like the Prime Minister of Australia be so out of touch with what the country needs? Is that a reflection of the capital C conservative culture of the Liberal yes. Party and just that they're in power yeah, it's now? It's just the way the Liberal Party seems to work these days, I Yes, think. and they have mm. basically been taken over by capital C conservatives who mm. do are not reflective of, of mainstream Australia. And we saw that, you know, with the marriage equality debate last year. And although I would never wish the postal vote on us ever again because of the damage it did to the community, <laughs> the one silver lining was that Australians got to say how they felt about um, equality. And, you know, we had almost two-thirds of Australians saying, yes, they supported marriage equality, and which was, you know, completely out of tune and out of kilter with what uh, the Liberal and National parties are saying, that this is what they, how they wanted to legislate and didn't want to legislate. But why can't they still be reflective of what Australians want? They've got to lose at the next election and lose badly and to realise that they're not going to get back in unless they realign themselves with where the mainstream Australia are at and that they are not doing that at the moment. And whether it's, you know, their position on, on climate change, their position on refugees, their position on LGBTI rights, um, they're basically governing for the, you know, they're the big end of town, they're governing for themselves, for their mates, um, for the corporations, and they're not governing for mainstream Australia. How do you think Karen Phelps well, is going to go? I think she'll do really well. And you know, it means we've got now got six independents in the House of Representatives, minority government. I mean, she's a very intelligent, capable, um, articulate person. Um, I think she's going to make a, make a difference. Have you got a message for the queer community that might be listening to this now? Believe in yourself that, uh, and the community's got your back, really. And Yeah, I like that, that perspective. The community in the end is behind you. And work towards having politicians that reflect how the community really feels. And that should guide your voting. Yeah. And, and if things are tough for people, yeah. to remember that you know, things can get better and it may need... You know, and things are so much better now or, than they once were. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I think that tr- there's no doubt that that trend will continue, yeah. maybe in some fits and starts. But 
we know where, where the world's heading yeah. in the long run, I think. And, and in general, that you, know, that you are loved. Oh, yes, yes. Mm. This is the last difficult question I'm asking for today before we wrap up. It's always a hard one. Are you both happy? I'm happy. Yes. And I'm, I'm very happy with how my life's unfolded, which I have no regrets about the decisions I've made through my life. And, and that's a nice feeling to have. Mm. And that helps certainly to make you happy. Well, you're both incredibly powerful people who've made a huge impact on the world, both in your work and in your <laughs> lives. I want to thank you both so much for coming in here and being so generous with your time and opening up to talk today. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for the opportunity. Word for Word is presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.